Well, welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. I am your host during COVID-19. My name is Daniel Whitehead and I am the CEO of Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries. Uh, the podcast is doing something a bit different during this season. What we're doing is we're focusing on people's stories and we're basically talking to friends and people we know from around the world who work in the intersection of faith and mental health or work in a vocation that's related. And we're just asking them the simple question of how are you doing? What are you seeing? And what are your experiences? And today we're joined by a friend of mine. We're joined by uh, Dr. Danny Chia. Uh, Danny is based in Melbourne. Hey, Danny. Good to see you. Hey, Dan. Good to catch up with you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So Danny is a child and adolescent psychiatrist. I've written this down, which is why I'm looking down to read it. Um, he's the head of clinical services at the Alfred Hospital Child and Youth Mental Health Service in Melbourne, Australia. And he leads about 70 mental health professionals. Uh, he also lectures at the University of Melbourne in their psychiatry course. And Dan is uh, he's Christian, person of faith. He attends Numa Church in Melbourne, a church that I've attended a number of times when I visited Melbourne to see family. And Danny, was it? It was actually my sister-in-law that introduced us. Is that correct? Yeah, it was Janie. Uh, we we were um, at, uh, we were at the same campus, um, uh, serving together, and she put us in touch actually on Facebook. I think almost over twelve months ago now, and then sort of um, we just connected and and uh, went from there. I guess. Yeah, it's great. So Danny is someone that I regularly just sort of will send a little text to, or just if a resource comes out, I'll ping in. So we kind of WhatsApp each other every now and again, and. Um, but been great seeing what Danny does, following you on um, Facebook, Danny, and seeing that part of your vocation, as well as being a clinical psychiatrist, uh, part of your vocation is to go out and help churches in various parts of, uh, would you say, Australasia and Asia? Would that, would that be a fair? Yes, uh, I've been, been to a, a few different places um, in Asia, in, in Malaysia, in, in Bangkok, and also around a few different cities in, around Australia as well, and just trying to uh, promote an understanding about mental health. Initially, started off with some NGOs, and and in the in the last couple of years, I've been speaking at, at churches a lot more, um, running sort of workshops and things, but also in, in the main the main services sometimes. And it's great to have uh, been able to link up with you, Dan, in terms of sharing some of the resources that you've got through Century Mental Health Ministries. Um, following on from these introduction talks that I, that I do so that I can, you know, because often after the initial talks, people are wanting more and, and, um, and, and you know, a talk can only achieve that much and being able to kind of link them up with some resources to, to, to look at and to, to use um, to help to disciple um, people within the church as well in, in, in this area. Yeah, well, we're very grateful for that, Danny. It's really a, a joy and a privilege to partner with you. And, and that's a really interesting point. You you going out and delivering workshops in various churches and, you know, and traveling significant distances to do that um, probably only highlights that this is an under-resourced area, that, that the whole faith and mental health intersection seems, from our perspective here in Canada, to be under-resourced. Would, would that be a fair reflection of what you see in Australia as well? Yes, uh, I think uh, comparatively, I think mental health is quite um, reasonably well resourced. I think in compar comparison to a number of other countries, and then the government does put a lot of significant funding in mental health and try to improve in that area. But obviously, the gaps and people fall through the cracks as well. 
in, in speaking through um, in, in a few different places in the meeting, people in hearing their stories over and over again, uh, people are struggling to find the help that they need. Um, they might feel afraid of speaking up as well, but also even if they did, it's really difficult to access the help that they need or it's, it's really expensive. But also, uh, unfortunately, the quality of care delivered is also quite variable as well. So I think um, where I kind of got to really was to think a bit about how do we actually be partnering with community and and um, to build um, capacity and 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 uh, res resilience at, at a primary kind of care level rather than expecting everyone to be able to find a professional because I think we really need to kind of bring um, everyone together to be able to um, meet this gap. It's, I, I don't think we can rely on governments to, to fund all the adequate level of uh, professionals to be able to meet this gap in this in this lifetime I think uh, we should we should I think I think we should um, pursue that but uh, realistically it does require a lot of people coming together to work in this space and to collaborate and to share and and and, um, and one of the things I really enjoy about the materials that you've got is the importance of lift experience um, through um, re recovery and mental health and that's a that's a huge part of the philosophy of the the service that I that I work in in terms of our approach to uh, delivering mental health care. Mm. It's a really interesting point you pick up on. Obviously, as a clinician, as a psychiatrist who oversees a lot of people, and in many ways, you know, professionally speaking, you're you're pretty near the top of the game. You you know you you're you're impacting a lot of people with that uh, from that clinical medical field, which. At Sanctuary, we are big champions of the work of doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists and therapists. Uh, but we're always saying, helping or saying to churches, you know, it, this isn't just a role for the clinicians. This is the clinicians have a very important role to play. And, and we need great clinicians doing great work. But equally important is the role of the spiritual community, is the role of families and support structures that that can give people a purpose for living beyond making someone medically well and it strikes me that sometimes i don't know if you found this but sometimes churches want to help and very often they'll they'll say to a uh, uh like they'll try to replicate the work of a clinician and and what we would say is no 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 don't do that focus on your strengths focus on the things you can do that a clinician can't do i wonder what whether this is a common sort of occurrence you find in the work that you've you've done with churches Yes, yeah, so in some of the talks I've been doing, it's really um, been in equipping, say, connect group or life group or cell group leaders and and thinking about uh, the different challenges that it might meet, understanding their role and boundaries in terms of um, uh, what they could do best in terms of supporting people in the group and not uh, being a professional, when to kind of get help or support people in, in terms of getting help. But I think the key uh, work around supporting uh, leaders or, or church leaders and, and, and people supporting or caring for people uh, generally in a church spaces in the area of self-care and, and, and having healthy boundaries and to be able to look after yourselves, look, look after ourselves before we actually um, uh, are able to kind of um, pour out and, and, and give to people and being able to set those boundaries so that we can actually sustain the work that we do um, and um, and so that's really been a huge part of the, the message, I think, working with um, in, in the church space, but also in the community space as well. I think a lot of people that come to the talks that I deliver are usually carers and families of, of, um, of a loved one who is struggling, who may be afraid or reluctant to get help. 
And uh, the, the families are often um, left with the ripple effects of the mental health challenges or difficulties they are facing. And, and equally, the, um, the, the importance of self-care is such an important uh, message to get across to be able to sustain that, that space and be able to look after themselves because it gets... Um, I can only imagine what it's like to have to to manage certain things, certain things that seem quite relentless and, and enduring and, and 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 very challenging too, and um, and so it's going back to that um, what we were talking about in, in terms of the, the, the space in church. It's just, it, it's about kind of trying to bring all those walls together and understanding each other's roles um, and how we can actually uh, be so valuable in terms of um, of being able to come together to support people in from a holistic recovery process. I think for quite some time in the mental health space, there was a rejection of some, anything spiritual. The idea of it was very scientifically focused and therapeutically focused. Um, and it went sort of very kind of secular, if, you, if that was the right word to use. And then um, after some time, people clinicians or professionals um, discovered that I guess there are gaps in terms of people's recovery. They started to look at um, a, a number of different spiritual frameworks and interestingly I think in, the, the, we, we tend to look somewhere else. So uh, a lot of my colleagues who are you know Western trained clinicians started looking towards Eastern philosophies and Buddhism and mindfulness um, and to be able to fill that spiritual gap or that need. And so that, then there's that, that sort of that pathway of actually understanding the person as a whole, the concept of recovery and, and all that. And I think more recently I've been, um, um, you know, I've been, to, I've been to, in lots of conversations with uh, our worship pastor at my, 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 my church in Yuma, Stacey Hillio, who's been helping me understand about, the, about things like Christian meditation, um, things that... Um, that, that, that it is biblical in that in the spiritual sense that intersect with mental health to be able to kind of uh, learn and grow in that space and hopefully be able to reclaim uh, this this space and this language in the, in the mainstream mental health place. And I can see that on, on social media platforms. I do follow a number of different organizations and churches and there's more and more conversations about mental health. Uh, there's more and more, there are more and more pastors and leaders speaking up about their own personal mental health experiences, which is a massive impact on the church community uh, in being able to overcome that stigma and fear and taboo. So I'm seeing that um, as an emerging sort of trend and 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 um, a focus on a number of uh, different um, whether it's churches I've been to or just um, looking at people's um, social media platforms mm, that's very good it's, it's really interesting hearing you talk about the the change in the clinical model the more scientific model over the years that that incorporates or makes space for spirituality um, so in the sanctuary course we talk about the biopsychosocial model but we amend that to go the biopsychosocial spiritual model that there is that you know and there, that is a growing field in 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 the, the sector of work you work in uh, what's interesting for me as someone who you know my my master's was in theology focusing on christian history so whenever i look at a situation or i'm always asking the question how did we get here what has happened to bring us to this point and it strikes me my here's my hypothesis based on what you've just said that basically we've come to the you know in this modernity experiment where we've all been told we can do what we want we can achieve what we want we're going to make the world better everything's going to be all right and that hasn't worked out um, we're now being forced to a place to acknowledge that there are the mystery the transcendent spirituality has a key part of our personhood like 
people are more than just biological. They are, there is something else deeper going on. And the sadness for me is that professionals, as you said, have to turn to uh, other religions and traditions outside of Western culture, because sadly, all too often, Christianity in the West has sort of pushed away those sort of practices which are actually in our past that practices like meditation and mystery and um you know relationality these are all in the rich history of the church but sadly in the west we've ejected those because we've said to sort of the more modern idea like oh yeah we can work with you we don't need we don't need transcendence and mystery and spirituality we can just uh you know we can turn the church into a machine that will work with western culture and now the irony is when western culture begins to unravel as it kind of is at the moment in covid people are looking to the question of all purpose and like what's going on and who are we and are we made for more than just producing and working because we can't produce and work at the moment and it just strikes me as ironic that the church has this rich history of spiritual practices and meditation and we're having to relearn those um and i hope we relearn them in time to gift them to the culture to say there is something more than just absolutely what you see and feel right Absolutely, and reclaiming that that space. And just from a from a history of psychiatry perspective, there was um, uh, Jung and Freud at a particular point of time, and, and actually, a, and, and Jung was holding views around um, transcendence. He studied theology. He studied uh, spirituality across a number of different world religions as well, not just Christianity. And then there was Freud, and the the main split off at that point in, in psychoanalysis or, or, or psychotherapy at that stage was this. Uh, rejection of the spirituality and and Freud sort of won in that sense. There are some Jung followers that still practice still today, but um, the predominant um, that that was when I think um, things split off around the time of uh, secularism and re the rejection of anything spiritual across um, the, the the Western world at that time. And and I think it's a parallel rather than necessarily a causal sort of factor between what happened in the church and what happened in, in society. Maybe there's something about, um, look, I'm not an anthropologist or a philosopher, but I, I think there's something around um, the, the, how societies have changed and evolved over time and the impact of the, the environment and the things that happen around us that perhaps shape some of these um, ideas and approaches as well. And currently, um, this, um, this this situation that we're in, in with, with the effects of the pandemic, is, I think it's going to cause another massive shift, I think, in terms of um, how we how we do church, how we um, see ourselves as a church, how do we relate to people in, in this context. And so personally, um, uh, before this, I've been on a, a bit of a journey um, through this, this last fellowship with my, my pastors around um, thinking about how do, how do we reclaim this space in mental health around these uh, things that you've just spoken about, Dan. And and uh, and the first thing that, that I kind of learned from that is really needing to actually put that into practice in my own life. I can't be imparting spirituality to other people and practicing meditation and rest and all those sort of things. If I'm not doing it myself, it's really important to really be able to impart something that you have rather than trying to just tell someone about something. So that, that was my little journey before this happened. And and obviously, um, I don't want to uh, invalidate or discount the, the, the stresses and, and tragedy that a lot of people are going through at this time. But initially, um, it made it so much easier for me to transition in this space of practicing that rest 
noticing the things that are around me, slowing down, uh, looking at my priorities, observing the Sabbath, all those sort of things that are so important and fundamental and core to us as Christians, which has been lost through the, the, the pressures of modern society. And so this uh, season really allowed me to consolidate some of that, to start thinking about um, how actually I practice. Because previously, I, the way I reconciled my faith and my work in mental health was really um, this from a theological perspective around understanding suffering and how suffering helps me to understand my role in the world. And, and that, that was helped me to do my job, but it wasn't necessarily incorporated in my personhood or, or my or my how I actually work with people. So uh, so this is the kind of the next stage of my own development and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to kind of um, explore a, different, a lot of different ideas. And one of the things I'm doing at the moment um, is uh, rereading uh, the gospel of uh, uh, the gospels in terms of understanding the life of Jesus and how he lived and walked on earth rather than seeing the, the gospel as just a story that then uh, that points towards the centrality of the cross, for example. So being able to notice how he lived, how he walked, what he did, and then use that as um, a, a, a way to kind of shape how I live and how I, I see things. So that's my, that's what I'm doing right now in terms of um, using this time to to, to look at um, uh, the life of Jesus in that way, rather than just from a, a, a theology of salvation and centrality of the cross, perhaps. Wow, very cool. That's really cool to hear. I think it's it's an interesting thing because when you begin to press into this subject, so you've talked about things like self-care and you've talked about practicing before you preach and um, lived experience. When you're, when you're kind of living in this intersection of faith and mental health and you're seeing the connection points, it's making sense. Um, I think you read the Gospels differently. Uh, well, that's what I found. So suddenly I, I read the Gospels and things that before I would quickly pass over in the narrative of Jesus's life suddenly become really yeah. significant and they jump out and you go, I wonder, I like, I think it's in Mark 7. I might be wrong. So I'm sure people watching this will tell me I'm wrong. But I think it's in Mark 7. And Jesus is um, in the Decapolis, the region of the, the, the un-Jewish region. And he, they basically want to head south towards Galilee. But what they do is they go north. They go a really strange route. They go a really long route to get south. And and there's kind of this biblical mystery. Like commentators would say, we're not sure why. Um, it could be that Jesus wanted to avoid the crowds. It could be that, who knows? It could be that he wanted to preach to the, in the quieter places first. Now I read it and I go, I wonder if Jesus just said to his disciples, look, guys, we need to take some time out. We're going to go the long route. We're going to go the quiet route. And it's not so we can avoid the crowds. It's not that like we don't like the crowds. There'll be time for the crowds, but there's also time for rest. And there's time for play. And there's time for us to get out of the limelight for a minute. And we're going to meander our way to where we're going to do the work. But in the meantime, we've got some other work to do, which is about rest and wellness and self-care. Um, I never would have read that into the text. And I'm not saying that's what the text says. Don't, don't anyone tell me I'm adding to the word of God. But I think it's possible. That, that God in human form would say, guys, let's practice some self-care for a while. We're going to go the long way to where we need to get to. And that goes against the grain of what our modern society teaches us around doing the things the shortest way, the most efficient way, the fastest way. Uh, we cut down on inefficiencies and things that are, that are seemingly un unimportant, you know, prioritizing, having a strategy. And, and and a lot of those ideas are actually useful in the ministry, but it's another whole aspect of, about how we live as, as Christians that 
um, and 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 it's sort of right being able to kind of read it from a from a from a different lens and a different view to be able to get get a a, a different um, perspective out of that. Absolutely, totally agree with you there, and um, and um, that's what that's what I'm trying to do at the moment. Mm. I'm I'm really interested, Danny. When we look at what's going on at the moment in the world, and um, fortunately, I I, th I think I know because I got family in Australia. I know that Australia hasn't been as affected as many other Western nations. Uh, you know, statistically speaking, I'm sure psychologically people have been affected watching the news. And similarly, British Columbia, where I live in Canada, has amazingly, by God's grace and the great work of the, uh, the people of British Columbia in maintaining distance and things, we haven't been as affected as other places. But I'm interested to know what you think, and you may not have an answer for this, but what you think um, we can expect, both as a clinician who works in the mental health field, like what could the church or indeed society in general, but we can focus on the church, what should the church be preparing for in the next 6, 12, 18 months coming out of what we hope will be coming out of a global pandemic that we're in the middle of at the moment and uh, what would some of your concerns or advice be to to pastors or people in churches on on, on how they can be as ready as they can be oh look I, i'm not sure if i've got any advice for any, for any pastors in churches but just speaking from uh, what i'm observing and what i know um obviously with any kind of global tragedies we, ex we expect that um a lot of the social difficulties, economic difficulties are going to affect mental health because of the social determinants of health. Um, typically, with un increased unemployment, we have increased rates of family violence, uh, impact on the mental health of children, uh, which is an area I'm, I'm very passionate about. Um, suicide rates tend to go up in, in, in these uh, times as well, especially in the, in the period following, not necessarily in the period in, immediately um, during uh, a, a crisis or a disaster. Um, and we are seeing an increasing number of uh, families in distress. And because there's so many social challenges and difficulties um, that are kind of falling apart for lots of families, and in, in yes, while uh, in Australia, things are uh, kind of doing okay, um, generally, if you look at the, the data in comparison to other countries, there are also lots of families who are struggling, people have lost jobs. Um, and also the impact of the the isolation as well. So at a, at a smaller local level, I, I guess uh, this is probably about getting to eight eight weeks into the um, isolation. We're starting to open up, and people are going out a little bit more. Schools are getting back on track, but really, I, I see a fatiguing and de deterioration of people's mental health, especially children's mental health, uh, being stuck at home. The, the parents trying the best. I think the first few weeks, everyone adapted as best as they could. Um, and um, but I think after two or three weeks, we see that kind of fatiguing of the ability to sustain that. So and then now we're, we're, we're getting back into re perhaps a, opening up a recovery perspective. There's also then an, another change that generates a lot of anxiety right now in terms of the anticipation of the what the next stages could look like in the. And I, I think what people have started to realize is that there's going to be a lot more uncertainty. Uh, than we initially anticipated because there was initially thinking about what well, is a pandemic we're locked down and we'll open up but actually what's coming um what's what's emerging is really the the the, the knowledge of the certainty of the uncertain period how long this is going to actually go on for a lot of things that can't be expected we can put things in place but there's so much that actually we we can't control 
So perhaps um, in terms of thinking about the church, I think a lot of churches have been out there uh, delivering food and resources to people who, who need it the most. Um, and the church has always been in the forefront of meeting some of the social gaps throughout the history, giving clean water, giving um, medicines, um, providing education to places where they don't have that. And, and I think there's a lot of that that needs to be done in in urban areas as well, um, in terms of some of the social needs, but particularly, I, I, I think um, it's it's about helping um, people to join the gap between some of the struggles that are seen in day to day life and actually what the Bible teaches that helps us to live our lives. I think it's it's so important that our primary mission is to um, to make disciples of all all nations and. And, and not not just uh, make converts and making disciples involve showing and teaching people how to live, and, and so I, I would I would think that in the in the process of the focus on evangelism, for example, that discipleship becomes a, a huge part of that process, and to uh, because that's what people want the most. People actually want to uh, learn a bit about what what what, Christian, what do we do as Christians that stands out in terms of how we live to deal with these things, so, such as you know putting our trust in God, knowing that God's mercies are new every morning, um, being able to learn to lament and be able to appreciate um, His goodness within the, our, our struggles. All, all those, you know, we, we, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here, I guess, um, but all those things that I think people need to hear more about that helps people to actually put um, practical applications in, in their life, but also using a language that people can identify with um, who, who haven't had a history of, say, going to church, for example. So I, I think, um, um, I'm, I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but um, really thinking about the area of, um, in the mental health space, that that's a massive need, a massive opportunity, but that's also where people need help the most, both at a very practical and spiritual and emotional level. Mm, that's very good, Danny. And, and again, going back to my, um my uh, theological training and looking at history, it just reminds me of the early church. When I think back to, uh, you know, that when the two bubonic plagues ravaged Europe and people were dying in their thousands and thousands, it was the Christians who stayed behind and tended to the sick when no one else would. Uh, and many of whom actually, not that I'm advocating this, but many of whom paid with their lives, many of whom laid down their lives to love others that ultimately shifted uh a perspective that turned Christianity into this good news message of a faith that wasn't just uh, an idea or a concept like many religions were of the time. It was something that had hands and feet that met very real needs in society at a holistic level. It was dressing the wounds of people that were covered in sores that no one would touch. It was feeding the hungry. It was reading scripture to those who were unable to see. It was it was these practical messages outworked you know the, the, the scriptures lived out that caused many to turn uh, to christianity that ultimately won the western world to the christian faith and so um you know i guess as horrendous as this time is which it is and we we, we will only we can only guess the the size of the mental health tsunami that's coming um i think there's a lot of traumatized people and people that are going to need a lot of love and care and support we need to be trauma informed in how we do that but there is still strangely this opportunity for the church to step into a space and to love our communities really well and that's what i hear you saying and it's great to hear a clinician of your standing you know 
working in a mainstream hospital in Melbourne, lecturing and teaching people how to be psychiatrists. It's just so encouraging to hear you say that, Danny. So thank you for that. That's a real gift. And it comes from also in my work where people obviously come and see me with quite severe and enduring mental health difficulties, whether it's for children, for older people, or, or even the parents struggling with mental health difficulties. Um, we're, we're seeing a rise in um, a number of people coming forward with eating disorders, psychosis and obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm not quite sure why, but we're seeing more people present with these difficulties and they're, they're, the symptoms that they're presenting are actually more bizarre and and more severe so so that we're seeing a lot more in this in this recent season i'll be interested to kind of understand a lot more about why why that might be and or what 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 the meaning or the function of of this this um phenomena is but in my work day to day where i'm seeing people because they've tried a number of different things and then all the, the the ther- hasn't worked out with the first therapist they've tried a second therapist a third psychiatrist um they've tried four medications and then they might come and see us because that's the nature of how our service is set up to be able to to help that group and what i'm finding is that um the families are not spending time together they're not sitting down having a family meal uh, they're too busy running around to multiple places there's massive economic stress and pressures to try and maintain certain things so some of the i guess foundations of of um of family and society actually missing in in in, in those um and that's i found myself giving um advice to families going through significant mental health difficulties well and, and plus yes in, 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 i don't want to discount the importance of the therapeutic um, um, um professional work that i'm providing but i'm also giving people advice about some of these very basic things over and over and that's what actually got me passionate about doing these talks in the general public because i feel like some of those basic messages of keeping connected looking after your self-care uh, being able to um focus on things like um you know worry about things you can uh, control rather than things that you can't um being able to uh, look at the bigger picture understanding the seasons in life uh, some of those uh, basic things that are that I feel are so important I'm I'm telling patients and families over and over and and so I think this is this is where the church comes in because you don't have to be a mental health professional with lots of degrees and and years of training to help people because there are a lot of things that are missing in a fundamental level and I think in I've been in church for a very long time I, I went to Sunday school and, and grew up in that church context and I guess sometimes I can, I can take it for granted how easy it is for me to have access to my church family because uh, where I've moved so many times in uh, throughout my life and having a church family to feel connected to um, even going through this pandemic with an immediate church family so I'm not isolated I, I guess um, Sometimes we can take it for granted that that that's the norm. That actually a lot of people don't have that opportunity and that connection to be with people who could just love them and care for them, without getting something back. So I, I think um, I have had that privilege of going going up through church in that context. But very mindful that's not the case for a lot a lot a lot of other people outside church. And and that's perhaps something we can do as a as, as a Christian community that makes a difference um, beyond the message that we're preaching as well. Mm, that's really good danny what what i hear when you're saying that to kind of maybe conclude this it's it seems like what you're saying is you don't have to be a qualified clinician to help people on their clinical journey just as you don't have to be a theologian to do good theology actually if you learn the rhythms of rest of relationality of relationship the importance of that 
of of staying connected of of grace and mercy and compassion and love if you practice if we learn to practice these things these are gifts in a world where many people don't get to experience those things that we just have access to or many of us have access to who are part of a church so i love that message i love the simplicity of that and i, I love that uh, as i said before here's a psychiatrist telling us to rest more to love more to relate more and to uh eat meals together more this is uh this is great great stuff thank you danny thanks dan yeah really grateful for you and thank you for your time this is uh this has been really really encouraging uh hey guys if uh, this has helped you please share it with other people please go to our website at sanctuarymentalhealth.org you'll find our sanctuary course an eight-week course for small groups you'll find our uh, faith mental health faith grief and covid19 resource a four-week course that's on our website you'll find our blog our podcast everything's free go to sanctuarymentalhealth.org and uh yeah we'll see you next time thanks Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries exists to equip the church to be a sanctuary for all people at all stages of their mental wellness journeys. May this podcast encourage you to create safe space for your own story and the stories of others, as well as create change in communities that stigmatize those suffering with mental health challenges. The Sanctuary Course is a small group resource designed to help initiate and guide conversations about mental health and faith. It is a starting point, creating a base of shared knowledge from which churches can explore the next steps. Perhaps most importantly, through the simple act of talking openly about mental health, the course helps churches begin to create safe spaces for people to share their mental health stories and receive support in community. Each theme in the course is explored from a psychological, social, and theological perspective, and each session is accompanied by a compelling film focused on an individual's story, a person of faith who has journeyed through mental health challenges. Interested in exploring the Sanctuary Course for use in your community? Learn more at sanctuarycourse.com. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives 4.0 license. Don't change it or sell it, but please share it all you like.